last week at Generate, we had something interesting happen on Wednesday night. We've had to move to where we're trying to fill the upper parking lot first because Fuse is on campus and that's amazing and single focus and all this. But we, uh, we had to block off the, down, the, the, the bottom parking lot, which is the main one, and people get really angry about that, to fill the upper one because no one will actually drive up there, and then actually fill the bottom one. So we had cones set up and things were going good. And then we, we, for some reason, we manned, you know, there's this little parent drop-off. A lot of you parents know how frustrating that is because there's a line down Kellogg and all the way down Ontario. But you drop off, and then there's these cones blocking the parking lot. And for some reason, we chose one of our 14-year-old, 110-pound guys to have to guard that spot. <laughs> Poor guy. So one of our ladies, intrinsically involved in Crossroads and maybe on staff, came to my office and apologized for what she did. She had her beautiful daughter in the car just dropping her off at Generate. And uh, her daughter was embarrassed beyond belief when that mom saw those cones, saw that 14, 110-pound man, and yelled out the window, it's okay, I, I know where I'm going. I can go around and get to the office building. And he politely replied. He said, well, couldn't you just go out to the street and make it? And she, oh, and she got so angry. Pretty soon she has the window down, and she's giving him a third degree. This poor guy's about to die. And he simply said, as honestly and softly as he could, uh, I was told that we were not expecting you. I'm just doing my job. She peels off, looks in her rearview mirror. She has dust flying off the car, rocks hitting the poor little guy in the face. And he's standing there. And here's the moment that she wanted to apologize for. She yells out the window, oh, gosh. And then with this little faint voice, the 14-year-old, she watches in the rearview mirror as he raises a hand and says, God bless you. There are good handoffs in a generation, and then there are bad ones as her daughter sat there slunked over in the seat. And I want you to think about this as we talk today, and I know a lot of us, when we get really honest, talk about generational handoffs and what's coming. 70% of Gen Y, which would be someone born between 1982 and 2001, 70% of these children and young adults will leave the church by the age of 19. 69% believe that God is all-powerful, yet... 30% think that homosexuality is okay. 38% think pornography is okay. 42% think sex is okay. 45% that abortion is okay. 50% will watch mom and dad divorce. 60% think it's okay to live with someone outside of marriage. One million children a year suffer abuse and 80% then retain lifelong psychiatric disorders. That's not even to mention human trafficking and poverty. And we can joke the rest of this day about handoffs and talk about a generation, but the reality is a lot of us sit here and you have a child or a grandchild, a lot of you plan to have children, and here's the question you ask. In this economy, with all that is going on, with society and culture literally pouring just disgust and depravity onto these, these young ones, where will my children be when I die? What kind of life will my grandchildren live? And what in the world is Crossroads going to look like? I look at my little Ethan and my little Peyton at one and two years old, and it breaks my heart to think that my little daughter is going to be told that it's okay to have sex, just use a condom, and thus that eight out of ten women entering marriage with HPV is okay, and STD is evidently fine. That breaks my heart. And yet we open up our Bibles and we read about these men of victory, Case in point, men like Joshua, who were young, they were rookies, and they take over a nation, and they do great things, right? Even if you're not a part of the church, you step in here, and you go, okay, well, maybe I heard about that Joshua guy. Let me tell you, he changed the world for the nation of Israel. 
He was able to go conquer Jericho in this way that most of us would go, what? That's not normal military standard when the walls fell down. And then he attacked the city of Ai and drew out the armies of the other, of the other capital and then moved his men in behind them on a sneak attack. He was able to cross the Jordan River in a miraculous fashion. And we go, oh, that's epic and miraculous. What a man. What a future. A generation had hope in Israel. But then we think, is that just luck? What's the magic recipe? How in the world do we get to transpose what happened with Joshua into the life of my little Ethan, my little Peyton, your child, your grandchild, the DNA of Crossroads itself? Is it possible? Is there a secret? I'm going to tell you there's no secret, but there is a thing called Bible. And I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 1, and I want you to pray with me. Father, Lord, I pray that this room right now, we all get really, really open, transparent, and honest with each other. But I pray that as we come together as a family, Lord, and we call ourselves crossroads, and we say, as Tim said, that we are united and unified in your body, I pray in that, Holy Spirit, that you begin to work right now. Holy Spirit, take me out of the equation, God. I pray that people do not see this weird kind of middle-aged, balding guy down here, but they see you, Holy Spirit, and that you let me step out of myself and represent your word with solidity and with honor. And Father, I pray that whoever's sitting here right now, no matter how broken, no matter how anxious, no matter how worried they are about the future of our church and the future of our country, I pray you'll give them hope today. I beg this in your name and pray this in your name. Amen. I want to tell you it's not a secret. The first step to this young man, Joshua, was the fact that he was taught, he was taught. Let's just stop there and think he was taught. He was taught commitment. He was taught commitment to God's story and not his own. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, and just read it real quick with me. I'll explain it in a second. Joshua 1 and 7 is a, is, a, is a passage we've heard many times. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do, hold on to that word, according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, Joshua. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Do you notice those two things in verse 7 and verse 8, those two little words that say careful to do, careful to do? You see, Joshua was this man that we look at who fought and was courageous in epic battles and he did amazing things, but he had this resolve to commitment to always be obedient to what God wanted. To actually look at God's word and actually study it and be a man who was committed to it. And he had ferocious resolve to step out and do whatever it took to be obedient to God's story and not his own. And I think we kind of go, okay, but how in the world did he learn that? How in the world does a rookie taking over a nation learn to be committed to God's word? I want you to look at something. Exodus, and turn to chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17 is an interesting moment. Moses has just hit the rock, you remember? And water came out. Ooh, what a cool gift to have. I'll be all about that. Hit a rock, water comes out. And then he's just seen the king Amalek destroyed under an amazing, miraculous battle that God had fought. And then look what he says in verse 14. Look what happens. Exodus 17, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, after the water coming out of the rock and after the battle with Amalek, write this in a book as a memorial. Now I want you to grab one of these next two words. So look at them real close. And what? And recite it to Joshua. To who? To Joshua. I'm not going to keep doing this alone, so we're going to do this, do this again. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial, and what? I'm not doing this alone. I will not do this alone. Come on, let's go. 11 o'clock, you're awake. And what? And recite it to who? To Joshua. 
that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Now here's, I want you to grab onto this. Moses, epic, courageous, but he's taught commitment. He does it and we go, how? Because Moses stepped in and throughout his life, over and over and over again, he would step up and go, Joshua, I'm gonna read you bedtime stories. Now bedtime stories can be ultra boring when you're 20, 30, 40 years old and a little weird, but that's what's happening here. He is reciting to him the memories, the moralization, the understanding of what God had done in this moment and saying, Joshua, this is a story that's bigger than you. This is huge. Look at history. Look at how magnified and omnipresent and omniscient God is. And here's what we actually get to view from this. I'm going to tell you, I think that the church can be an amazing place when we commit to the objective, standard, passionate, powerful, infallible word of God as opposed to just our own opinions. Whoa, there's a little woo. That's right. Now think about this for a second. I, it might be that the moral state of decay in our country is due to the fact that we do like mentorship, right? And we're big on big brothers and having people oversee, you know, hurting children. And that's great. But if it's just my opinion, is there any assurity, any assuredness that it's actually going to be right? And I'd say no. Everyone's investing in a child, but it might be a philosophy, some of you might actually find someone who's a little younger than you and pull them aside and you invest your Albert Einstein wisdom on them, science. Maybe some of you decide you want to talk to them about what World War I or World War II was like and that's fine. Maybe some of you are so focused and passionate to invest in a generation that you simply tell them that the Celtics of the 80s were better than the Lakers of 2000. I don't know. Bulls were better than both. But anyway, now here's my point. Without the objective truth of the word of God going into the lives of that generation, then it does not matter what we give them. We aren't assured that it's going to give them hope and give them passion and give them revival. The church is powerful when we commit to giving them this. Joshua was powerful when we committed and Moses committed to giving him this. He said, I will read you a bedtime story. A lot of you parents hate reading long bedtime stories. Hop on pop and Dr. Seuss bores the living daylights out of you because they're so darn long. If you could just look, get little Goodnight Moon, three pages of cardboard, and be in and out, it's way better. Amen. You can see what stage I'm at, can't you? There was a moment where Moses looked at Joshua and said, this story's beyond you. Now, we have some actors and actresses at Crossroads, and I, I know that some of you might know that. There's a girl named Nicole who's going to be in a movie uh, with Cameron Diaz coming up. We have a guy named Josh here uh, who's, uh, you know, his family is, does amazing things in movies, and y'all would know them if, if I mentioned the last name, and they're awesome. But imagine for a second if Josh, my friend, walks up and he goes, you know, Tony, I wanted to let you know, and I love the way Francis Chan put this, you know, Tony, I want you to, I wanted to let you know I'm, my movie's coming out. I'd be like, whoa. And then he goes so far, he actually takes all of us and rents out a huge theater, and he puts us in there with the stars of the movie. And then we get to the movie, Josh's movie, and we sit there, all the rows are full, Crossroads family's there, he's down in the front, you see him as little, and he's standing there excited, and he says, everyone, I want you to know after the movie and the credits are rolling, I'm going to go ahead and sign autographs. And we're like, oh, cool. The whole movie goes, and we don't see him once, until the very, very end when the camera slides behind the back of his head, and it's a five-second cameo, but then he stands up as the credits rolls and goes, yay! I hope you liked my movie. And then he walks to the back door and we all sit there. And what do we do? Do you are you crazy, man? You got something wrong with your head, fool. What's up with you, man? I mean, I take waste my time, come out, what, you know? Now, don't miss what I'm about to say. How often have we become so delusional as a Christian family and as a Christian where we begin starting to make the movie, the God movie, about us? It is absolutely crazy. I mean, go back all the way for a second to the beginning. 
God steps into humanity, creates the heavens and the earth and into the world, and he says, let there be light. And then he says, it was good. Did he look over after the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and stop and go, yeah, Tony, what do you think? Should we name them birds or bees? No. And then it was God who came in and said, I'm going to have a flood that actually destroys the earth because I want to have eight souls come back to me and follow me. God was the one who then stepped in and took a 99-year-old man named Abraham and said, I'm going to number your descendants as across the stars of the sky. You are going to rule and live. And then through prophets and judges and kings, he kept going. And it was God that decided who would rule, God that decided what would happen. And then there's that climax, which we all know, which is what? God sends who? God's son to the earth. God's son dies on a cross. God's son rises back, into the, back to the, from the grave. God's son goes to be with him in heaven. And we even know how the movie ends. At the end of the movie, we all get there, and we're where? In the throne room of who? Of God. And every tongue, every tribe, every nation worships God. And the shouts go out to God. Everything is about God. See, from the start all the way to the finish, it's always been about God. Why the heck do we keep trying to make it about us? This was a man, Joshua, who had hope and revival and an epic courage and character because he had a man who looked down at him and said, I will teach you the God story, not mine. But he taught him something else. Look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 5. He didn't just teach him commitment. He also taught him, taught him appreciation. Joshua 4, verse 5. Now, I know a lot of you are sitting here, and you're with me as a parent or a grandparent, and you're saying, Tony, if you can ever teach someone young appreciation, I'll give you a billion dollars. Every single time I take them to McDonald's, they want to go to Taco Bell. Every single time I give, give them, you know, money and put a roof over their head, they look at me at age 17 and say, I hate you. Tony, if you can teach this, then I'll give you a million dollars. I want you to look what Moses said. Look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 5. Joshua said to the men, and I'll explain it in a second, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And then Joshua says, let this be a sign among you. So that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. Look at, so these stones shall be a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Stop. Some of you know the story, but picture what's happening here. There's, 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 there's hundreds of thousands of Israelites standing, and they know they have to get across this Jordan River to take the land that God promised them. And Joshua prays, and God gives them this answer. He says, you send the priest with the Ark of the Covenant right out, and you step them in the beginning of the Jordan. And, and then what happened was 18 miles north in the city of Adam, the water begins to stop, and so it depletes all the way down to where there's dry land. Hundreds of thousands of Israelites cross. They stand on the other side. And I think if I'm an Israelite, I'm kind of going, maybe circumstance, maybe coincidence, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, there come the torrents, rushing back by them. And in your heart, it begins to beat fast, and you go, oh my gosh, God did this just for us. This is a miracle. Joshua had the insight to stop and look at 12 guys and say, you guys, go right now. Each get a huge stone. You cross back over and you put it right where we began that crossing. Why? So that we can remember, so that children can remember, so that everyone will know the legacy of what God did where with us on this day where we reside and in our moment. It's not just that God is omniscient and it's his story. It's the fact that he works intimately and in with value in each one of our lives and in our churches. I want you to think about this too. Imagine what happens as a church when we all stop and begin to appreciate what has come before us. 
We have to teach a generation to appreciate what has been done for them. And I know that there are a lot of you here, you say, Tony, you're kind of the new guy on the scene. You do not know what we have done and put into this church. And I want to tell you, I do not know everything, but I want to tell you, you are appreciated beyond measure. And you say, you don't, you don't really appreciate? No, I do. And I want to tell you, someone in here had the vision to move us to 50 acres in a Corona orange grove and erect a building that shines as a light now on the hill. Someone faithfully sacrificed paycheck after paycheck after paycheck to ensure that this property stays and stayed useful for the kingdom of heaven. A few, namely recently Pastor Chuck and Mike Long and others, took personal and professional risks to step into a hurting infrastructure and inspire a new God-breathed anointing and life into this congregation. And many of you knelt constantly believing that God would bring a new generation of passionate world changers to continue the legacy that you began. And I want to tell you that last week alone, through all the ministries during the week, over 2,300 people aged 5th grade to 28 years old stepped on this campus and what you wanted to pray to come true came true. This is a moment where you can rejoice. Thousands of you stood through dark times knowing that God's light was not done with crossroads and great things were indeed coming. And I want to tell you this morning, as honestly as I can, you were right. And I want to tell you as honestly as I can, we will not forget what you have done. We won't. I have this picture in my head. I don't know how many of you fly for your job or on vacation, but I always choose to sit over in, in, in the, in the, by the window because when you sit over in the aisle, if you have long legs and you go to sleep, your little leg will creep out and, those, and the person who's a steward will, will not beg you or ask your permission to take that cart and ram through your knee. <laughs> you who fly go, amen, brother. So when you sit on the window aisle, you can find the perfect little spot in a night trip, you can fall asleep. But if you don't, a lot of us have been there where you're zooming over America or somewhere else and you see nothing but blackness. And it is the worst feeling in the world because you think if we were to crash, no one knows where we are. They're not getting to us. I just went for 100,000 miles with nothing. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you cruise over one of those little glowing lights the size of a peanut it's one of those towns that no one knows exists, but it gives you hope because you go, there's little ants on the ground, and they might actually be able to take care of us if we crash. And then you think, who lives here in a little town like this, like Bakersfield? <laughs> or Fresno? Or Riverside? I'm just kidding. I want you to think about this with me. You know the hope that comes when you see that little light on the ground. But I picture in my head that because of what Crossroads has done, because of the legacy that you have lived, because of the way God is exploding everything around here, it's a phenomenal moment in history. I think Satan, the former cherubim who surrounded God's throne with a fire that Ezekiel says breathes out of his very soul and his huge wings that expand, he spends most of his time in Asia. He spends most of his time either there in the Middle East where Christians are actually dying for their faith and not forced out by the thorns of insecurity, culture, society like in America. But every once in a while he takes a trip, just a little trip back around to America to check on things. And in the blackness, just like a plane, he goes over and he sees everything. New York, no reason to stop there. Las Vegas, uh -uh. oh, Los Angeles. And then suddenly I believe what happened recently because of what you did is he stopped. He hit the West Coast, he came into the Empire and he saw this faint glow on the horizon. 
The blackness he didn't think he had to deal with suddenly had a glow that began to build. It was no longer dim. And the hordes of demons actually patrolled behind him as they flew in. And I really firmly believe that as he crossed into Corona, flew over crossroads, stopped and saw what happens in here on a Sunday morning and the way it's changing the world, he and his demons all froze. And then he said, oh, crud. Where did that come from? We will never forget what you have done. You have to understand, when we teach our generation coming below us commitment, and then we teach them appreciation, we are handing them the keys to God's victory. But there is one more thing that I'm going to say this morning, and after all I've said, I don't want you to miss this. It is the core, it is the root, it is the fundamental bottom rock foundation of everything we've said, and Tim Boer said it when we started Look closely at Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. This pinnacle verse. Many people have always considered the last chapter of Deuteronomy to technically be the first chapter of Joshua because it would have run together in the Hebrew. And I want you to look at what it says right here. Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. Circle it in your Bible today as God's calling and moving in your heart. It says, Joshua was filled with the Spirit, and look at this, it stops, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. I want you to look at that little term, laid his hands on him, and realize that is this, this, this hard to pronounce Hebrew word called mekodeka. I might have messed it up. Mekodeka. And what it means is, is that Moses, right before he died here in Deuteronomy 34, or as he was dying, would have taken Joshua, had him get down on one knee, and he would have put his arm on his shoulder. And what he was saying was this, Moses, buddy, sorry, Joshua, buddy, everything that I am, I'm now given to you. The way that I love, I want you to love. And the way that I lead, I want you to lead. And the gifts I have, I want you to have. Everything that I have thought God was saying to me, he's now going to say to you, this is your moment. This is your chance, the Mechodeca. And then the Bible says that the Israelites began to follow that man when that baton was passed. Do not miss what I'm about to say. In the epic and courageous and commitment and appreciative uh, demeanor that Joshua had, everything began and started with a touch. It started with a touch. I want you to watch this. You asked me. You asked, you asked me why. Why is my life like this? Will things ever get better? Then you started to cry. I've never seen you so sad. I never knew things were so bad, so cruel in your life. You always seemed okay and somewhat happy. But I do the same sometimes, I think. Whenever I'm hurting, I always pretend everything's okay and that none of it matters. But I still want someone to ask me if I'm okay or show that they actually care. You told me that you feel like you're all alone and that no one really cares about how you feel. That even your dad tells us that you're not good for anything. I feel that way sometimes when my parents scream at each other. I'm sorry to hear that you think that things would be better for everyone if you were just gone. But you're so wrong. 
Most adults think we don't feel pain or hurt inside at all. I read a story just the other day about a girl just a year older than us that feels so alone and so hurt that she takes razors and cuts herself with them. I found out that that nice sweet boy from last year that disappeared from our class and that we really liked, and we never knew what happened to him, that he tried to kill himself. You're not the only one hurting. You're, you're not alone. You said that your parents don't listen to you and you feel like they're not important to them. And they say things sometimes that are just so hurtful. I know life is hard and I know you're hurting. And you feel like everything is just gonna get harder and harder to do. But there's hope. Take a moment and look at the eyes behind me. The eyes behind me each tell the beginning in 2009 of yet another epic story. But as opposed to Moses, the conclusion of this story lies in your hands, Crossroads. We are watching a generation grow up knowing abuse and divorce and loneliness and slavery and disease. Yet no matter what these these children walk in here, what past they've had is our obligation and our call to offer them a brighter future. We must refuse to let American Christianity go quietly into the history books and say that no matter how dark the night and how long the road or how hopeless the outlook, we will give and we will love and we will cherish and we will inspire and we will motivate and we will change in the name of Christ Jesus. The conclusion of the story today rests in your hands. Your mechodeca, so to say. Will you teach them commitment? Will you teach them appreciation? And will you? Will you teach them love? The hardest part for a lot of us when we walk in a room like this on a day like today is in your heart, you begin to say, but Tony, I see those kids' eyes and I want to do something, but I'm a little nervous because I don't know if I can give a God story that I have yet to find. And I want to tell you today, this is the life that God has for you. This is your moment your choice, a life of investment, a life where you know God and you respond to God and you give God to others. This is your day, this is your moment. No matter where you're coming from, no matter what your battles, your past, your pain and your failures may tell you, God loves you more than you can imagine and he wants your heart today and he wants you to step up and be willing to give back and be a passionate world changer. Let's pray. Father, I know in a room this size, there are so many that have never truly come to grasp the story of you coming to this world and dying for them. 
Some of them even right now are, are sitting there thinking, how can it be true that a God from heaven could come and die and that that Jesus could go back to heaven and now want to walk with me and give me purpose and hope and life so that then I can step out and provide that hope to others. But Lord, that's what you want. That's who you are and that's what you do. So Holy Spirit, I ask right now in a room this size that you begin to reach and touch and move in souls and hearts. And Lord, I pray for that guy right now who's sitting there and he realizes that he hasn't even been the father to his own kids and now it makes him nervous thinking that he wants to, he has to be a father to so many others. I pray for that family, Lord, that's going through a tear and a riff in the marriage and they realize that they have to step out and provide hope to their, their kids. Father, I pray for that grandparent who right now feels that maybe a generation won't listen to them, but you're calling them to respond. And Lord, I pray for that young person sitting here today who's never realized how much you love them and how much you want to use them for your glory. Holy Spirit, please move. Right now, I'm going to go ahead in just a moment, and I'm going to pray a prayer. And with every head bowed, I simply want to ask this question. Today, is God calling you? Are you ready to step out and take the life that he's called for you to have? Because he's looking down, and you might not know. I don't know your name, but he does. And in the core of your heart, you know you need to respond. When I pray this prayer, it's going to be a prayer of commitment. A prayer of responsibility, a prayer of dedication where you give him everything and he comes in and gives you joy like you could not have imagined and he says, I died for you, now will you live for me? It's a prayer that begins your journey of being a passionate world changer. But before I pray that prayer, I want to know in this room who God's calling. I want to know if you're sitting there and you're saying, this is my moment. I know God's stirring. I know I've got to react. I've got to do something. I've got to jump in his arms. And so as I pray this prayer, would you have courage and do something with me? If you're going to pray it with me and God's calling, would you simply glance up at me and lift your hand so I know who I'm praying with today? I want to know if this is your moment and God is calling you. Please let me know. I'm looking. Wow, praise God. That is so cool. If God's calling you, please just lift your hand so I know who I'm praying with. Praise God for you. Praise God for you in the back, brother. That is so awesome. Praise God for you. This is so great. Praise God for you, brother. That is amazing. If God's calling you and stirring in your heart right now, make sure I see you just one second longer. Praise God for you right there, brother. That is awesome. Praise God for you. And for right here in the bottom, on this side over here. There on the top. Praise God for you guys up there. That is so cool. This is awesome. What an amazing moment. Praise God for you right there in the back. Okay, for everyone that raised your hand, simply whisper these words to God. Be honest and be courageous. Say, Jesus Christ, my Lord, I want to be part of your story. I have failures in my life. I have some mistakes. I've got pain that I want you to take away. So right now, I accept and believe the fact that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from that cross and I believe that right now in heaven you're reaching down wanting to give me purpose and a new life. And so I say yes to you. I ask that you make me the person that you want me to be. 
and that you give me the life that you've called me to live. And I pray this in your wonderful name and surrounded by friends and family, God, I say, amen. Wow, praise God.